Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And well, today is one of my favorite conversations with one of my favorite people in the whole world, Dan Lorang, one of the really the greatest coaches and leaders in the world of endurance sports, just a remarkable human being. He's so authentic in this one. He just shares so many stories from the highs and lows of coaching some of the world's greatest triathletes and cyclists. We cover a lot. Uh, we, we celebrate the, the athletes he works with. We, we dive deep into some of his coaching philosophies and his mental strategies, and, uh, and we finish up with some opinions and, and some life questions. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember... Success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Speaking of success, have you ever tried fast food? It's a high-performance fuel made from 100% real food. No more bloated feelings or crashes. With their unique optimal energy release system, you get consistent energy. Dive into their Galacto Gel, Galacto Gummy, or the Hydrator and taste the real difference. Give them a go and let me know what you think. You can write me on any of the social platforms. I'd love your feedback. You're out there training hard and racing, and I want to know how you feel on fast food. And remember, your mission is fast food's mission, so don't miss out. Right. Well, today's guest is one of the all-time greatest performance coaches in the world. His results, they speak for themselves. Both the men and women, Kona Ironman world champions, Grand Tour cycling champions, and the list goes on. He's also a familiar voice on the show. He was last on about two years ago. We were just talking pre-show. And his episode then is one of the most downloaded episodes on The Greg Bennett Show. I've recorded 200 plus episodes and he's only second to one of the athletes he coaches, Jan Fredino, and that's very, very close actually. Dan, you're very close (laughs) to being number one. But mate, it's so great to have you back on. So for everybody, a reminder, Dan Lorang, he's the head performance coach for the Bora Houndsgrove cycling team. He's a strategic genius behind some of the world's greatest triathletes. Um, under his guidance, we have Jai Hindley, who won the Giro d'Italia in 2022, the Aussie. Um, he has Kona Ironman world champion, Annie Hug, who's been working with for, I believe, almost 20 years. Um, and she's been dominating the world number one ranking for the last couple of years. She's also a Kona Ironman champion. Lucy Charles Barclay, who just shattered the course record at the Kona Ironman world championships. And of course, the legend himself, recently retired three-time Kona Ironman world champion and Olympic gold medalist, Jan Fadino. Honestly, his list of accomplishments we could do a whole podcast on. But, mate, you have been busy. So thanks for joining me once again, and welcome to The Greg Bennett Show, Dan Lorang. How are you, mate? Yeah, first of all, thank you very much, Greg, for the invitation. Always nice to be here on the podcast. I'm also listening to your podcast over the last year. Always nice to see how you how you drive your conversations with athletes, with coaches, with experts. So. Happy to be here. Yes. And yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Um, like you said, uh, busy in a good way. So now already preparation for 2024 oh. in uh, in cycling, but uh, also for sure in the triathlon season. And uh, so everything in full swing. That's a little bit um, the business that there is really not, there's not a real off season because when the athletes go to off season, coaches, head of performances and everybody involved is planning already the next one. Um, but 
Yeah, so it's an ongoing process. Mate, I, I, I mean, I want to spend a bit of time on this show just understanding how you can juggle it all because you, not only are you juggling it all, you're doing, you're doing it all with such finesse and such success. Um, and, I, and one of my first questions I was going to ask you, you know, is, is this off-season for you? But a quick look on the Bora Hansgrohe website, it looks like you're employing great coaches um, for that team. There is no downtime. Do you get it? Do you take, you know, a week here or there during the year? Um, I would, yes, I take this, um, especially to spend a little bit more or to spend more time with my family. Mm. Um, we also go on, on the holidays, but um, yeah, you have to see it like if we are on holidays, it's basically part of it that I also working, <laughs> I don't know, one, one or two hours in the morning and the same in the evening. So, my wife knows me already like this. It was also when we got married mm. and, when, and we, when we went on vacation after, it was exactly the same. Mm. Um, so it's, it's part of it. Um, I, I'm also honest. Uh, I think I would not say no if there would be an opportunity now to say, okay, yeah. one week, just putting everything, uh, everything away and mm. uh, just enjoy it. So I would not say no to that. Mm. But um, because of the different engagements, what I have, uh, my position in the team was Brohans Groh. So now I'm I'm part of the management. So I, I moved from pure coaching mm. now to coach more the, the stuff. So the nutritionist, uh, the coaches, um, the physiotherapist, uh, the chefs. Mm. So everything what is linked to the physical performance. And um, that's also an interesting but quite a demanding task because you have to talk to a lot of people. Mm. And so basically you you don't have the time then to really say okay i'm i'm out at the moment and um yeah so but that's part of my life until until now and as long as i'm enjoying it is also good i i feel sometimes when there are situations that i don't like or that gets yeah a little bit away from coaching like i give you one example if i have to tell somebody that we don't continue to work with him because also this is now part of my job. That's for sure not a nice one. And so this costs me more energy than if I'm the whole day on the phone with athletes and people and talking in a positive way. So, um, no, let, letting go in people. I think there's a lot of people nodding their heads. I think that's some of the worst experience that anybody that has their own company or working in business and you've actually got to let somebody go. It's an awful experience. Mm. Um, and, Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, and it takes its toll. But, mate, you've been busy. The last, you know, like I said at the top of the show, two years since we last spoke. It's been an incredible couple of years. Um and I've, there's a lot to cover in this episode. So I, I figured what we'll probably do is we'll start with a, a quick recap of your journey for, for people that maybe are new to Dan Lorang. Um, but then I want to sort of celebrate some of the athletes that you've been working with, a lot of them I just mentioned in the top of the show, and then dive kind of a bit deeper into your coaching philosophy and end with some opinions and, and life questions. How's that all sound? Yeah, all right. To me. All right, so let's start off, mate. Let's do a quick recap. You know, you're still a young man, but uh, give me a quick recap of your coaching journey and, and how it all started. Yeah, um, so basically, it's it's coaching started when I started my um, university um, degree at the University of Munich. So I studied sports um, sports science with the focusing on high performance sport, and there in there was some. Yeah, uh, and, and a part of it uh, that calls the triathlon, um, yeah, tri- triathlon department or triathlon 
uh, group mm-hmm. and uh, part of that group was uh, Annie, so anyhow. I love this and, part. I love that you've yeah. been working with Annie for so long. <laughs> yeah, on, that, that's on. basically where, where, where we met and yeah, she yeah. was looking for a coach. I was uh, looking for athletes to train because I yeah. felt already quite early in my years that helping people by giving them good advices for training and mm. to see what is possible with the human body that, that this fascinates me. Mm. And then we said, okay, let's start this journey together. And basically starting from tri- uh, tri- uh, triathlons here around the corner, just moving up to uh, European championships, uh, world, cha- uh, world cups um, to the VTS. So, so going up with her career, I also stepped up as a coach. Mm. For sure, I was involved in different sports. I was involved in, in triathlon, in, in cycling, in running. Uh, I had um, uh, athletes from, from skiing, from biathlon. So I had the big opportunity that early during my studies, I worked in the sports medicine department of the university. Mm. And there I had um, a lot of contact with different sports. And that helped me a lot to better understand the physiology uh, and also the needs from athletes, but also the needs um, from coaches. So to combine science with, with coaching because the coaches came to that institute, they made a performance test and then they want to have explanations what to do now. And there I, I saw, okay, you have you need to create that link between science and, um, and, and coaching on the field. And um, yeah, so I, I moved on and then I was uh, one, one and a half year in the Cervelo test team. So in a, in a professional cycling team at that uh, age mm-hmm. and then i was country coach in triathlon for juniors in one of the german countries baden-württemberg uh, so there i lived in freiburg and then i was under 23 national coach for two years and then i got a lead national coach in germany for the triathletes for four years and mm-hmm. uh, during that time i meet jan frodeno so at the end of 2012 we met and we start to to work together to make that collaboration and after that, I, my main job was in the cycling team. So in the Borough and Scroll cycling team, where I'm still actually, so now in my eighth season. Wow. And I started there as a coach. And like I said before, I'm now a head of performance and uh, yeah, still in the team and still really, really happy that I have the opportunity to coach some uh, athletes beside my main job with Borough and Scroll. It's amazing, mate. And, and when you look back at that, you know, that what is it, almost 20 years, I guess, uh, 15, 20 years you've been in this sort of, are there sort of some pivotal moments in that career which really stand out to you and you go, wow, that was a moment in time? Yeah, there were, um, in your head, you you put yourself some some milestones, I would call it like this, and mm. my first milestone was uh, with, uh, with Annie to, that she can enter the national team in triathlon. So that was the first milestone. Mm-hmm. And then we achieved this. And then the next milestone from in my head was getting national coach of, uh, of the German Federation. Mm-hmm. And I, I can still remember when I was there in a coaching course, uh, I made the, the B degree at that moment. And the guy who made the course tell me, yeah, what's, what's your purpose? Why are you doing uh, here the, the coaching license? Mm-hmm. And I just told him straight away, I want to get national coach. And he just looked at me and said, yeah, yeah, okay, but uh, you have never been triathlete and so on. But yeah, let's see um, how, what the future brings. And basically, I think three or four years later, I was the national coach of, of Germany. And that was um, the next milestone, but what, what was mm-hmm. something where I was quite proud of. And uh, and then basically came 
the next turning point, and that was uh, when I met Jan, so Jan Frodeno, mm. because so Annie was already really professional, but we we grow up together. So that's why you don't really always see these steps because if you see, for example, a person every day, you don't see exactly how this person changed. It's like raising but, kids, uh, right? It's like raising kids. You don't yeah. see the difference. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so for me, it was normal what Annie was doing, but then I met Jan and then I saw, okay, what it means to do high, prof- high performance sport and also professional sport. And um, so that was for me, uh, also an, an, a great learning to work together with him, especially in the first year. So I was a quite young coach at that time uh, with a little bit of experience and he was an Olympic champion already with big goals. He wants to win Kona mm. and um, basically that story is also sometimes mentioned that uh, he, he came in my office and, and we talked about it and he said, okay, I want to win Kona. And I told him straight away, okay, we will do this in two years. And uh, he said, okay, good. And that was how it came. So basically, we started at the end of 2012, beginning 2013, and he won Kona the first time 2015. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but you put yourself as a young coach in a really um, um, exposure position because with Jan, it was always like if he is at the start line, everybody expect him podium or, or even to win mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and as a coach that's completely different than before then even with any it was like yeah we go to the competition we try our best if we get fifth sixth eight or if we win for sure we try our best but there was never at that stadium that pressure from mm-hmm. also from outside and with Jan this came the first time where I really felt it like oh okay that's how it feels to train a really high class um, class athletes and then for sure with any it was at some point the same when she was so successful so um, but there so these were some kind of of of, um, of points in my um, my mm. career then for sure i entered the cycling team then i walk up there nice uh, nice successes with with uh, a lot of different riders sprinters she's a climber then was also for me nice to see that what uh, what what i did in triathlon or in endurance sport in general also works quite well in, in cycling and yeah, and then I, f- I would say the um, one of the biggest milestones then was to win Kona with Annie and Jan oh. the same the same year. Unbelievable! Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that that was like okay, good. And, and <laughs> twenty nineteen, right? Think, Unbelievable! Yeah, twenty nineteen. Yeah, and <clears throat> and we spoke also about it in the podcast because then suddenly you come to a point to say. And now what? <laughs> well, you've just done the now what with, with Lucy winning and Annie in second. You've gone first, second in the women's. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's been done before. Um, I feel like you just keep creating new, new goals for yourself, new milestones that the world just go, what in the world? That is absolutely incredible. Um, y- you mentioned, you know, you work with Bora Hansgrove. From what I understand, and maybe I'm wrong. Is that the first GC win with Jai Hindley at the Giro d'Italia in 2022? Was that your first overall win? So that was the first Grand Tour win uh, what the Bora Hans crew had. Yeah. And here also um, um, I want to, to point out, so basically at that year, it, his, the personal coach from uh, Jai Hindley is Henrik Werner, a German coach. Yes. Yeah. Uh, really experienced in, in, in cycling. He also won already with uh, Tom Dumoulin, for example, the Giro d'Italia. Mm-hmm. And so I was uh, like the other coach in the back, helping for sure. 
and uh, working in, in, in the performance area. But it was quite nice as a team to grow over that years because um, we won a lot of sprints. So we, we had the first area with Peter Sagan, yes. where we have been quite successful. And then we had young athletes like, at that time, Sam Bennett, Pascal Ackermann, Emmanuel Buchmann, Maximilian Schachmann. So a lot of athletes who grow, who got who, where I had the chance to work with yeah. and at one season. And that was also 2019. That was quite crazy with, I think I coached six athletes and I had with these six athletes 33 victories. <laughs> and it was somehow like, um, it was just an, un, an unreal year, yeah. I, know, I have to say. And that's why it was like, okay, and, and, and what's next? And that also was the first time in my life where I really understand where it's, good to have goals but on the other side there is also a negative point because if you have a goal and you achieve it now what um, mm. yeah mm. now what so that was also for me put me in a, in a really thinking process to say okay and how should you set your goals for the future how do you see your goals and and also the way to, towards it goes because we always tell the athletes hey you have to enjoy the journey you have to really enjoy every day and you come then yourself to that point to say, yeah, it's the same for you. It's not just the goal, but it's also how you get there. And uh, uh, defining the goals a little bit different. I think that that is what what 2019 and especially also the year after learned me a lot. Mm. Yeah. So that, that, how much did that impact your philosophy as a whole? I mean, it's it's one thing to be a coach and go, okay, I know the data and the numbers we need to hit and everything else, but there's this when you're when you're setting these goals and understanding that the life is a journey and you need to understand your mental and emotional state to continue on, did it change you as a person, you know, as, as, a, as a coach and as a husband did it, achieving such success? Um, I, would say, I would say not immediately. Mm. Um, I think what changed was after i think it was when was it 2020 or 2021 there came one moment and now i have to think about mm. when lucy got the first big injury mm. i think it was 21 20, yeah yeah 21 no, uh, 22 started 22 yeah, yeah. she broke yeah. her hip or yeah exactly yeah yeah so some years later, because at, at that moment, it was a point where a lot of things went wrong. Even, I don't know, I, I would not say everything was under my control, but um, Lucy was injured, it didn't went well in the cycling team, and I, with some trialists, there were some problems. And I basically fall in that pitfall to, to feel really, really bad, um, to feel like, okay, now my my work is not going in the right direction, so probably I'm I'm a bad person. So something so this kind of link. Mm -hmm. And that is what I felt there. I can really remember the situation. I was in Sierra Nevada in altitude at some evening sitting there alone and and like fuck what's what's going on with yourself. Mm. And um, I think that was a little bit the, from highest high to really uh, from the from the work side to a, to a, to a really low and then to remind myself hey stop it's my passion it's my work yes but it's not my life mm. and that's where uh, where i also learned a lot from from that period to to find a way around this and to still be there for the athletes and being positive and uh, yeah because you also I, I think as a coach it's really important to stay positive to give them 
um, so, uh, help also for your family. It makes no sense to come home to your family and to be in a bad mood mm. because uh, your job is not working well. I, I know it's it's job, it's passion, it's 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 so close in sport. Is so there's no real uh, line between what you are doing in your job and in your mm-hmm. free time. Mm-hmm. So, and that was for me um, a big lesson, I have to say. And um, how did you turn it around? I mean. You know, we've all, yeah. everybody and everybody's journey, everybody's story, we all have these highs and we all have these lows. And I'm always curious, you know, when, when you hit these low points and it's easy to say, hey, just, you know, snap out of it, get going again. And it's like, it's not that easy. Did you have any sort of techniques or anything or people around you that sort of helped you refocus? Yeah, I can also remember at that, uh, at that moment, two days later in Sierra Nevada, I wrote our... Um, we have a, a sports psychologist in our team and I wrote him a message. And basically I wrote him, hey, look, if this don't get better, I will contact you in some days and probably I need uh, some help. Mm-hmm. But um, then uh, I, I don't know how I did it basically, but I, I, I thought about the problem and um, I managed to come out my, myself from it. So basically to bring everything into uh, in, in the right relation and what was also really really helpful at that time I mentioned Lucy with a broken hip some other problems with the athletes but the athletes they always had 100% trust and, or at least they give me the feeling that they mm. have 100% trust mm. in what we are doing in what I'm doing that I'm there for them and also from the family side there was always like okay take your time and um it's not a problem if you don't want to talk about. So the, both sides gave me time and trust mm. and this helped me to come out of this and then to step up again and say, okay, and now we come back and now we, um, we have to, to move out of that hole. And then basically two weeks later, the, the sport psychologist called me again or, or wrote me a message and say, Hey, do you still need my help? Uh, oh no, he wrote me like, ah, I think you found out yourself. Uh, you found a way out yourself. And I said, yes, I think so, but let's see. And, from there on, I, I could move step by step out of that um, hole. And I think five or six, six months later, I, I we met in a training camp and we talked about it. And um, he was also quite interested in how, how I managed this. But it was really taking time for yourself, reflecting your situation, bringing it into relation to your, your whole life mm-hmm. and the trust from the people around you. So mm-hmm. this trust and... Mm-hmm. And also, uh, um, I forgot to mention this, some of the coach colleagues, I don't know why, but somehow they also felt like, oh, probably they need some nice words. And I got some nice messages wow. from coaches from the from the trial world, especially. So some really like motivating words and even without asking was even just say, uh, yeah, sorry for the, for the injury from Lucy and uh, things will get better and we know how this feels. So, some kind of, of good words from the people um, that I knew that I also respect. And there I saw, um, hey, so probably um, I can get out of this. And it's it's not such a big problem. It's my problem, but it's not it's not a really big problem. So I can get out of it. No, but I think, I think you're touching on <clears throat> the fact that we can all support each other, even just a few words and a quick note. You never know the impact it could have on the person at that moment, right? I mean, it's one thing to send you a note because your athletes are all winning and you're everything's charging. It's another to get a note and go, "Hey, you know, thinking of you, mate. Been there myself." You know, it's like it, it does impact you. Um, but thanks for sharing that. I think it's a 
it's always nice when people are prepared to share their low times and not just the high times. But I do want to transition, shift gear, if you will, and talk about, firstly, Annie Hug. 18 years you've been working together. She's now 40. Um, she's going to finish this year, I believe, as world number one again after finishing world number one on the PTO rankings last year. Second at the Ironman World Championships right behind your other athlete, Lucy Charles Barclay. But any, any hug. I mean, you've been together so many years. The consistency, especially this last five to seven years, has just been off the chart. What's it about Annie that, and your relationship that you're able to keep her on track and the kind of work that you're doing to have her running 248 marathons in Kona? And, I mean, tell me about your relationship with Annie and the work that you're doing with her. Yeah, so um, like I said, it's, it's already a long time. We know each other really, really well. What also um, brings with that, it's not that we have so much contact. It's not that we have daily contact on the phone or whatever. So basically when she uploads the data or when she sends me some messages, I know how she feels. I, I know what is going on and the same uh, for her. So she also knows how I am doing. And uh, so we know each other really, really well. That is for sure one part. Mm. The second part is, and that is um, the case for all my swire athletes, there are always people around. So for any, we have um, a good physiotherapist, athletic coach um, that is working with her in Germany. Um, we have um, the same when she is in, in, uh, in Lanzarote, uh, where she has also a, a really good support um, there. So Gunther in uh, La Santa and uh, Tobi, uh, Tobias Heimersdorfer in, uh, in Germany. So these two people are extremely helpful for me because they immediately give me feedback if they see things are going wrong, if the, the, there seems to be an overload or if, if there's something in the movement pattern from any. But on the other side, and this is also really yeah, fantastic working together, it's never like that they say, hey, we should do less or it's too much or whatever, but more they see their job in bringing, making any ready to support the load what is necessary. So it's a different approach. It's not the approach like we have to tell somebody they have to do less or they, or they are doing wrong. No, it's more the approach. Okay, that's the load what has to be done. We prepare the athlete that she's basically uh, bulletproof to do it. Mm. And uh, so we have a good, really good um, um, team here. Then we have a, a swim coach uh, that we are working with. We have nutritionists um, that we are working with. So there's a, a small team around Annie. What really helps to keep also the consistency or to dig deeper into topics like, for example, nutrition, when we find that there is an, a specific problem uh, or when we find that there is something to, um, to improve. And that's also um, something that I always want to point out and what is really important because I'm working with athletes who compete against each other in the race. <laughs> so if I get, even athletes get knowledge because he's, he or she is working with an expert from her team, I always keep that knowledge in that team. For example, if any comes up and say, I have a new idea, I have my nutritionist wants to test this and to test that. That is knowledge for team any hawk, mm -hmm. not knowledge for uh, another team. The same if, if Lucy is coming up with an idea, that is, I keep that knowledge in that. So I try that everybody keeps his or uh, her advantage that mm -hmm. he brings out to self. Mm -hmm. My person always bring in 100% to all my athletes what I have. But the teams around these athletes, they are different. So I, we never work with the same setup. Mm -hmm. We always have different setups. And um, 
that also helps um, yeah this trust in the team that also helps me to keep the control of the workload from any and i think this is the main point when we talk about consistency so to be uh, not too often sick to to keep to stay injury free and then last but not least if you met any she is basically the professional athlete herself so she is doing this i would say um, 365 days mm-hmm. a year she lives that life she likes to be an athlete and that is for sure also the reason why still with with her in her age she, she can compete at the highest level and even kona was when not her best performance ever so um that is quite impressive for me so basically <laughs> that is i mentioned it as a last point but this is the main point that she loves what she is doing she loves every day of being an athlete and she always try to reach new boundaries and he, she pushes for it not myself but really herself pushes for yeah to get better and she still believes that she can always get better and so when you when you guys are communicating um and say the direction of next year's goals or the following you know how many years out you want to plan your goals and is it led by the athlete like is it led by annie at this point or is it led by you and you're throwing suggestions out or are you kind of listening to the direction they want to go and what they want to achieve and are they coming to you hey i think i need more vo2 work or i need more aerobic conditioning or my strength felt lacking or how do you break down the specific trainings for the you know for any in particular um so in general the athletes are setting the goals so i don't want to to um give goals or to give dreams to my athletes so the athletes have- <laughs> Yeah. He needs to have the dreams in their head and they tell me what they want to achieve. It's not me who tell them what they should achieve. <laughs> Fair enough. But the other way around. And uh, if any tells me, yeah, I want to, like this year, I want to uh, have a good, uh, great competition in Ross and then the Ironman uh, World Championships and probably some PTO races, this and this one. I My job is then to say, okay, is this realistic? Mm. So can we combine all these different goals, in my opinion, and then I give her feedback and then we make the race schedule for the year. And it could be that th- there's a discussion about one competition where probably I say, oh, it's probably too much. And she says, I think I can do it. And then we uh, we find an agreement here. Important in the agreement is just that if you take the decision, you always take it together. Mm-hmm. So it's not like if things are going wrong, then that I would blame Annie to say, yeah, but I told you that this is not good. Or the other way around. So when we take the decision, it's a it's a team decision, mm-hmm. and uh, so there she brings, or all my athletes brings a lot of input. But then about the build up, that's basically um, I would say my main job. So to look, okay, how can we make you ready for this um, uh, for these goals? And there uh, we have big um, differences with athletes. So with any, it's really clear. I. I give her the sessions and she basically is doing the sessions as I prescribe them. So that's really like, like Jan also is do, uh, was doing it. Um, so there is not like, I need this, I want that, uh, or I think this um, sometimes, but I would say two times in a year, um, this comes <laughs> up. Um, but basically she said I, she wants to trust and she don't want, doesn't want to spend energy on that. The training is so exhausting. She focusing on that and she focusing on that what she's doing uh, is working and as long as it's working it, she's also happy with it mm. so she has not so many um like you said before like okay i think i need a little bit more this or that 
like like I said, two 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 times a year she comes up, probably after a competition or probably after a, a training session, like uh, on the, or, or um, after um, a tapering week or no after a recovery week when she said, oh, I feel some rust on my uh, on my muscles. I think I need a, a fast session again to to um, mm. to get back on track. Something like that. Yes, but yeah. that's it. Basically. It's pretty rare though. What what when you specific to Annie? Looking at her career and your journey together, you know, is there one or two particular moments that make you feel particularly proud of that really stand out? Um, I would say with with any, it's really um, the whole way that she did. So coming from being yeah, nearly non swimmer, starting with I think it was the age of twenty or twenty one. And um, then going into trial and, and always or oh, a lot of times being in the position to chase. So um, also on the short distance, um, the swim was not not always the greatest. So she from from the beginning of her career on, she always chased the pack mm-hmm. and every race she always went all in, no matter how far in the back she was. And she never gave up. And this is still there until until now. And that is for me really, really impressive because you can imagine how much mental energy this costs if you at the back of the pack and then you start your run and you try to get there or you're on the bike in a small group in the back of the pack and try to, to catch up in front. For sure, there were also other competitions. She, she had really great competition on short distance. She was silver medalist and, and, and so on. So she had also there good primaris. But what fascinated me the most is really this how long she was able to keep on now over 20 or now 20 years. And um, it was not like that she had, so she was really working hard for that. Mm. And uh, that impresses me for sure. The um, um, great Olympic race, what she had 2012, I think that was uh, really nice to see. Um, then for sure also uh, 2019 when she, she got that world championship title. Mm-hmm. Um, also a special moment that was 2013, when we won with the national team, the, um, the relay, the world championship ah, relay yeah, was yeah. Jan Frodeno, Annie Haug, Anja Knapp and Franz Löschke. So yeah. also that was really an, a nice moment um, because, um, yeah, you, 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 we were doing this all together. Yeah. So, um, but like I say, I would not pick just out one moment. I just would mention the whole way she did. Great this. answer. I love it, yeah. mate. I love it. Well, let's move on to Lucy Charles Barclay. Now this is uh, what is it now? Three years you started uh, 2020, yes, yes. 2021? season, yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, is she giving you a roller coaster, huh? Yes, yeah. <laughs> 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 on top of the world, literally winning Ironman seventy point three World Championships, and that was only what six months after starting to work with you, four to six months, and then um, to broken hip, to winning IT World Long Course, to broken foot, to winning Kona. I mean, it's been a hell of a ride. Um, you know, working with Lucy and her husband, Reese, and like you said, each of your athletes have their own team around them and, and you work with the, the team as a whole. Um, but her approach to training, is it is it much the same as Annie? I mean, you're dealing with two different athletes, um, 10 years apart in age, but also one leads from the front and the other one chases. It's um, – and – they're chasing each other or they're running from each other. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic that you've got basically number one and number two at the, at least Kona this year. How are you able to manage this 
with Lucy? I know they came to you. Has there ever been a question between Annie and Lucy? Do they get along? Is it all okay? How does that operate? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the contact with Lucy, basically I made the first contact because um, I read about this story that she wants to go from long distance to make the qualification for the Olympics. And um, that was something for me quite new. How what does somebody wants to do this? And uh, I contacted Reese because I knew that Reese was doing the training. And mm-hmm. um, then Reese said, okay, let's have a chat. And then we had a chat and I was, and I, I'm not lying, I was really surprised that basically at the end of the chat, they asked me, yeah, but probably you want to join our team. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I have So uh, <laughs> I, I have to think about it, not because uh, I was not interested in, but because I, ha- I knew I had any on the other side. Yeah. Uh, and um, also to, to think, okay, hey, they are already quite successful because Lucy had already several second places in, in Kona. And uh, why should I now enter that team? And um, so that was like, I said to them, okay, I, I'm, it's a really cool, uh, cool project. Let me uh, think about it. I will come back to you. And then I talked to Annie. And for Annie, it was like, basically, she, she tell me, if you want to do this, please do it. Uh, I, I don't want to for, uh, forbid you this or whatever, I, because I know that I can trust you. And I know that no mm. matter who you are coaching, you'll still give 100% to me. Wow. And even I, I heard in an interview that Annie says even there's some motivation because she knows that she has to work really, really hard because now also the other athletes have her coach. Mm. So she knows, okay, I have to work even harder to, to be better. And um, then I went back to uh, Lucy and Reese and said, okay, let's, let's go for this. And, um, and I can also remember in my head and say, okay, let's do the first. So as a coach, the worst thing what can happen if, if you have an, an injury at the beginning already when you are working together. So that's why I said, okay, hopefully everything is going well. Um, and then we had a really good start and yeah, winning the first world title on the 70.3 distance. Which she, won, she was the fastest swimmer, biker and runner, by the way, in that performance in St. George. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Incredible. Unbelievable. Also, also, she did a, a race. Where was it? An ITU race in Leeds, I think. That's right. Got fifth or yeah, sixth. yeah, yeah. What was also quite an, yeah, a really extraordinary performance. Uh, and there, I, there I, I really got clear what, yeah, what potential uh, Lucy has. And yeah, then she got this world title and everything was nice and, cool and good and <laughs> all on the good way. And then some, we, uh, some months later, uh, basically, we had that really serious um, mm-hmm. hip injury. And uh, there we are at the moment where I, what I told you already before, because there, for me, that was the worst case scenario, working one year together and now having a really serious hip injury, not just a small injury, but a really serious one. Mm. And my first thought was like, okay, that was it, because we start to work now together one year. And for sure, um, and as a coach, so I don't want to go in detail here why it came because there are a lot of speculations. I think we don't even know today what was the real reason. There were a lot of reasons, but no matter what the reason was, as a coach, you are always responsible. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I thought, okay, that, that was it. And basically what happened then was that I really felt the trust from, from Reese and from Lucy especially to say, okay, no, we, we won that world title. Uh, we are now in a bad situation, but... For sure, we continue, and for sure, we're going on, uh, and uh, we will get out of this. 
and that gave me also a lot of um, yeah a lot of energy to continue to work with with them together and um, it's but it's completely different it's a completely different setup so Lucy and Annie are two completely different athletes from uh, from the personality uh, from how they are yeah, how they are working I would see. They, when they are all on full training, they are similar because they are all really, really focused. Mm -hmm. And uh, but beside this, uh, we have with any somebody who is her world is really triathlon, being an athlete, and that's that's really her her, mm. her passion. Lucy has has these two sides: one really passionate athlete, and on the other side, for sure, also um, yeah. Um, I would say taking part of life as much as possible, uh, not as much as possible, but yeah, I get it. also yeah. mm. enjoying a little bit the, the, the other things, you know, and mm. I don't want to put uh, a judgment on this. I just say they are, they are different. They're different people. They are really mm. Different people. Yeah. yeah. And also the setup with, um, uh, with Swiss, what is a complete different situation. And that was from the beginning on really important for me to tell them, look, Lucy, look, Reese, what you are doing here until that point, or what you did until that point, is really incredible. As a couple, to arrive at that point, I, I was some days with them on Lanzarote. I saw how good they are dealing with each other. It was really nice to see. And I just tell them, look, I want just to, uh, my, my role here is to be probably a missing part of that puzzle, but not to now say, okay, I'm the man. I, I tell you, we all know go left or right. No, we are doing this together. And I think there we found also a good a good role. So basically, I set up the plan, um, the way how we get to our goals. Reese is there on the daily base, gives me feedback. Sometimes they also change the session because it's it, it fits better in the daily schedule. For example, this Annie would never do. Annie would never change the session. <laughs> never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be like uh, so. She would at least she would yeah never do it. And if she would do it. She would probably, I don't know, call me the other day and say, "Off, look uh, <laughs> about the." And uh, and here with with having Reese in the background, who also have the knowledge, they know okay how to change it. At the beginning, we had to be a little bit careful because sometimes changes are not always good. So you have to see mm. that you adjust it in the right way. But this is working really, really good, and um, we have there an yeah, like I said, an, uh, a good relation and also trust each other. And also there was a physiotherapist in the back with, with Michael where I get yeah, good feedback. So you see they have a good team behind them, also with the sponsor, with the bike manufacturer. So mm. it's always nice to to um, to see the setup of these different athletes. That is also a big privilege that I have to get insights into different setups. What mm. is really uh, yeah, a big privilege what, uh, what, what I have as a coach from, from these high-performance athletes. Yeah, look, I, I I found working with Lucy and Reese and 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 even you know Lucy's sister Holly and the whole professional team that they have. Exactly, uh, yeah, yeah. I've really enjoyed whether it's be through the podcast or any question. Or, they've been a really incredible you know team to work with. How, how was it leading up to Kona this year, um, specifically with Lucy because four second places. Um, I felt like the world was watching and I felt like the world was blowing at her back in that marathon to some degree and nothing against Annie, but I think Annie's had her had got to win one. And I think everybody was kind of hoping that Lucy would at least get one here. But what was that like her final training? Did you, 
Did you kind of have a sense that we were going to see a performance like we did from both Lucy and Annie leading into that race? Um, so for for uh, for Annie, um, it's easy to say because uh, I I was quite confident um, because she was really consistent in training. Yeah, uh, nearly never sick, so she did a lot of a really good block. And from the experience, from the nearly twenty years now, you know, okay, if she's able to do that that training, and if nothing bad happens on race day, she will be ready for a, a really really good performance. It always depends a little bit on the swim. So there we, we had to work a little bit on the psychology part um, that she also make, uh, has a good swim. But What do you mean on the psychology part? You just had to have a focus and visualize a strong swim? Yeah. But yeah. The, um, so uh, the, the swims in that season have not been the best. Let me say like this. Also, uh, mm. sometimes in the pool, she didn't feel so well. Mm. Um we also made a small change there with the coach, but this is not the main impact. This is probably now for the future. What we did is um, I wrote her an, a plan how she should feed, how she should, what she should do in the swim. So basically, like on the first, uh, I don't know, on the first eight minutes, it will get hard. Then uh, look at, uh, stay at these feet. Then this and this will happen. Then keep your uh, keep your spot, defending your spot. And then uh, and so on. It was a ten point list, and the last point was okay. At the la- at the last part of the uh, just before the exit, it will get fast again. Take care about this. So basically, she has to think about these ten points. Mm. And the only mm. thing, and um, we have never tried this before. So it was more like I heard her feedback, and I have the need to give her something in her hand. So two days before, she was like, oh. Uh, how should I do this? And in the ocean swim, they already gave me so much minutes. I have no chance. And then I, I was in the situation. I have to do now something for sure. We cannot change her swim. <laughs> for sure, we cannot not make her faster or whatever in in, in one or two days. But probably we can change mm, the how intentional. the approach, the intention, mm. how the approach, how she goes in the race. Mm. And then I did it, and I was quite happy when after the race she told me, "Hey, I just followed your points, and it worked." So uh, I said, okay, good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> phew, phew, that worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what about Lucy yeah. then? Lucy then and her final preps leading in. Yeah, yeah, that was a really, really interesting one because we discussed about it. Uh, how should we approach um, Kona? And we know it's hot in Kona and traditional approaches going long time before the race to Kona or being, I don't know, in Lanzarote where you have the climatic um, conditions. But there were two things. One thing was that she was a lot of time already uh, away from home. And um, I think also from the visa-wise, it was not so easy to stay a long time away, just in the US. And then she told me, I want to be at home. I want to try this. And I said, okay, that's a challenge. But like I said before, the athletes tell me their goals and, uh, and, and what, what motivates them and also what they need. And I try to make to use this environment and to make it happen. And then we said, okay, then for sure it will be a lot of indoor training because we need heat adaptation. We need specific sessions. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we need a big training block because we also need that, uh, we were not behind, but we were still on the past. So still on the growing, uh, side of performance. Mm. And, uh, then she did really, an, a massive, or massive, yeah, massive, a, a good six week training blocks, with heat adaptation, with also heat training, what are two different things? So one is to get adapted to heat, and the other is also to have some 
um, uh, hematological uh, adaptations to the heat training. Mm. And uh, there it was also really important to have, again, Reese who controlled the intensity uh, with lactate measurements, with heart rate, and so on. And I, I was not there, but uh, I, I heard from Reese, from her, and also when I listened to some of the podcasts she gave now, it was, I think, a really hard time for all of all people involved. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's um, testing on everybody. Any look, I think anybody that's lived with anybody getting ready for a massive performing somewhere, it's never easy. It's, it really is an emotional journey, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, there are a lot of emotion. But then we saw in the run that she's quite far already; that everything was according to plan. Also on the bike and uh, especially, and that was for me also an interesting moment when she went to Kona and then after the first session, after the first day of adaptation, when she did the first, uh, yeah, let me say pre-race sessions where you go in race intensity, mm. uh, where I saw, oh, okay, that's quite good. Heart rate um, in relation to power, uh, to the feeling. So that was quite promising. And that was the first time where I think, okay, probably this time, it's it's the day or it will be the day to to get it mm. and um but you I, I knew that she would be able to do a a good performance or a, a really really good performance if it is a winning performance you never know because you never know what the other people are doing and um, that's why um we said okay you are ready for a great day out there and um Okay, on the other side, we can also, uh, I, I just mentioned this, uh, this is a little bit funny because I wrote uh, some weeks before Kona, statistically wise, she will win Kona because normally when I work three years together, uh, in the third year, people are winning Kona. <laughs> <laughs> I love that positive reinforcement. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. so it was with Jan that case, it was with Annie when we moved to longer distances in the third year, she won Kona and now it was, was her turn. Wow. Uh, so statistics never lies and yeah, but just to make a little bit funnier. Well, that's actually, maybe it's not just funny, mate. You might be onto something. That's really, that's actually really cool. I mean, that's three for three when you think Jan Frodeno, Lucy and Annie. And then now, you know, moving on to Jan Frodeno, you know, we've, we've talked about your two amazing women that you're working with now. But Jan Frodeno, you guys worked together for his entire long course career um, from 2012 all the way through. He's now 42, recently retired. Arguably the greatest of all time. I, I, I steer away from that conversation of, with my own points of view, but, it, you know, he's done some incredible work. How has his retirement impacted you? Have you got a lot more time on your hands? Is, is life easier? I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's it been like? <laughs> um, now, first of all, I think it was, or not, I think uh, it was really emotional, especially on, on that day, on the last race day, mm. um, when you spent... Um, yeah, really a long time uh, together in this relationship. And when you went through also there to a lot of highs and also some lows. Mm. Uh, and I also know that um, a lot of uh, my, if you want to call it a coaching career, is also um, because of Jan, because um, of his successes. Uh, because as a coach, you you can do whatever you want. You need the athletes who, who, who bring these winning performances. And I think... Also with Jan, he has this personality. So it was, i give you one example. When I applied for the cycling team in 2016, um, we talked about it. Okay, I have a triathlon coach. And the only triathlete that uh, the team uh, boss was uh, no 
and you was Jan mm. Foden and he didn't knew any other acquirer <laughs> and uh, so just to uh, to show that, that this was also a an, an, an big impact for um, yeah, for my coaching career and um, yeah so and for sure I will also um, uh, miss this, miss to or I, I miss to, to work with him because it was always really professional good to work with him for sure sometimes you have some discussions or whatever but it was always with a lot of respect mm. um, uh, I think I, I mentioned in the last podcast the guy who call you on Christmas who call you for your for your um, for your birthday and, and these small things who says thank you uh, for for training plan and all that stuff so he showed me um, beside uh, beside also any what that hype being a high professional athlete does not mean that you have to be an asshole, but high professional athletes are also really nice and with a person and that respect is, is really important. Respect for your coach, respect for the athletes, respect for the people working with you. And there can be a lot of emotions for sure. There are emotions and you can throw stuff at people as long as in the evening you come back and say, Hey, okay, good. Sitting together, having the respect for each other. And now we continue to work and, that was something really, really nice with Jan, and uh, yeah, the life after life after Jan <laughs> is um, yeah, I, I think a normal process. Uh, several athletes contacting me uh, if I. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's more than several. <laughs> <laughs> Jan's gone. Can I be in? <laughs> you need another one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, there, um, I at the moment it's not that I was looking for um, for new athletes, so. For me, it's always important. First of all, I have a lot to do like this. And if I accept a new project, there must be something special. Like like I mentioned with, with Lucy, something special at that time with this Olympic um, distance. But also now it stayed special because she's just a special athlete. So that's mm. something really, really um, nice. So that's why if I accept a new project in the future, there must be something where I say, oh, that's... That could be interesting. And, and that is also, again, not something, um, a judgment on other things, on other athletes. It's just I need, with the, with the few amount of time that I have, I need to get something where I'm full in. Where yeah, I'm, and it needs to be interesting to you. It needs to be different. It needs to stretch you. Here's an idea. Yeah. There's an old retired athlete who's almost turning 52 that hosts a podcast. Do you think you can transform him to a Kona Ironman champion in three years? No. <laughs> now age that group. no, not age group overall. Oh, Please, okay, okay. <laughs> gee, we challenge yourself a little bit. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, mate. But look, I yeah. it was funny, you know, uh, just looking at going through and researching your work. One, one, did you know this one? So. Both your athletes that have won 70.3 world championships in the most, when I look at all races, you know, I'm talking last 30 years, 40 years, and I love the sport. So I've looked at a lot of great performances and, and I really do believe Lucy Charles Barclay when she won in St. George at 70.3 was one of the all-time greats. The other one I think was one of the all-time greats was when Jan Fredino won in South Africa and mm, the 70.3 in front of Brownlee and Gomez. You know, that was like amazing what's interesting about both of those performances which i put them up there in top five greatest all-time performances uh, those two both of those and athletes got injuries hip injuries post those performances (laughs) i'm just mentioning that i'm I'm giving you a hard time buddy but it is amazing isn't it it's like huh 
Lucy Charles dominated the world, Jan Frodeno. That one was amazing when Jan, remember that? And it was his sacrum, he cracked his sacrum or something right after flying home from Joburg to Australia or somewhere and... And, um, yeah, exactly. Well, oh, I don't mean to put out your downtimes, mate. I'm more celebrating the up, but that that was fantastic. Um, those performances. No, it's, it's okay. Greg. Yeah. It's really okay, yeah. because um, I think it's also important for people to know that this. I, I, I will not say I will not say it has to be part of it, but it's part of it. It and, is. Uh, yeah. um, because sometimes people say, yeah, uh, or. The, they get all the glory and whatever. Yes, that's that's for sure. We uh, it's nice to have now these podcasts. It's nice to be a little bit in the in the spotlight. But also the coaches and the athletes they have these down moments. So and I think that's also motivation for everybody out there. So um, there are highs and lows. It's, it's just a normal way of life. Yeah. And um, it's just now always to come back, to stand up, to move for keep moving forward. And I think that that is really important. And uh, that's why I think it's. Sometimes also good to hear about this, uh, that not everything went according to plan. No. And, um, yeah. But I'm telling you what, it's, it's gone pretty damn close. And uh, before I move you on to a, a final opinions and questions, I have one question. What is it about your training that just brings out such success in athletes? Is there a, is there a philosophy? Is there, I mean, obviously you're a well-grounded person. You understand mental strategies. You have great mental fortitude that you, you must share with the athletes and their teams. You know, that resonates in our conversations. You, you're, you're a very good human being. But specifically about the kind of training that you give athletes. And I remember last time on the show, you said, no, there's no real magic source. It's just consistency. But I could be as consistent as I want and never have the performances that your athletes have got. Is there anything that stands out to you that you go, this is what our athletes are doing better? Um, <laughs> That's a, and, I, and you've got 30 <laughs> seconds to answer it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, I... I I would say, yeah, for sure there is. So in general, I have I have an approach, how, how I build up a season, a general approach. But then I think the main thing is to to look at the individual, not, not characters, the individual physiologies and to see, okay, mm. where are we at the moment and where do we have to get there and to understand how the body reacts. Uh, for example, if I do a bio 2 next session, I don't know, three times, 10 times, 40, 20 how does the body react on that? How much of this load does it need to get an increasement? And um, to then to see, is this the right session for the athlete? Or do I have to give a different stimulus? Because probably there is no not the response what I want to have. Mm. Or probably this athlete needs more recovery. Um, so just try to understand. Uh, so one, one principle is consistency. I also believe that you need a certain amount of load. So I don't believe, probably this is also philosophy, I don't believe in a low amount of training. So I think you need a certain amount of training to 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 um, be able to perform at the highest level. So that is consistent with all my athletes. So basically I prepare them for that. Then we are doing that block of training and then we need the, the adequate recovery from it to be ready on, on race day. Mm. But really this try to get a lot of information once 50% from the data and 50% from the feedback that the athletes and the team around is giving me, and then taking the right decisions. That's why I make a season plan, yes, but I, I decide basically then week by week how we continue, how will the sessions look like, 
and then change it depending on on, on feedback. So um, mm, mm. I, I say that I say there's no 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 magic behind it, but um, it was already quite early when I start start my studies. I make some kind of yeah. I I, uh, I had a small job in a performance diagnostic lab, and at that time already the coach who worked there. He told me, hey, it looks that you have a good feeling for what people are feeling. Mm. So a good feeling what, where they are, what they feel. Uh, and, and I think this is something what, um, probably what, what I have really good. So if somebody tells me about how he's feeling, how he felt or she felt the training, immediately in my head there comes a picture. Okay, what happened to the physiology? What, what is going on there? And it, it's like a puzzle that I built together. And then I say, okay, and then we need now this puzzle piece, and now we need this puzzle piece, and now we need this one. And this could look differently from year to year, um, depending always on where the body is. How are people coming out from the from the fit for fun period? How I always call it, <laughs> they have the recovery period. So, um, but it's if you would look in my training plan, there's no magic. There's really it's really hundred percent no magic. It's nothing I would say what other coaches are not doing. It's more really putting it at the right moment in the right amount and uh, bringing it together there. I, I think you just nailed it. I, I love how you said, you know, it's 50-50, the data and the science. It's like the science and art coming together, right? The, it's like listening to that feedback combined with the, the actual numbers might be telling you one thing and the athlete's telling you something else and it's understanding how to combine those together to come up with the right formula. And uh, yeah, and I think you are doing that in, in such a superior way. I, I find it, I can only imagine your email box or, or direct messages on Instagram now with um, especially male athletes. Hey, Dan, <laughs> please help. Um, and, and it'd be probably not easy for you to turn a lot of them down because I know you probably know a lot of them and think they're great people. But mate, I want to I move on to just some quick opinions. We don't have to dive too deep in this because I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but Kona and Nice, um, you know, Iron Man have had to split the two together. What would you like to see happen with the direction of the Iron Man World Championships? Yeah, if I could, if it would be uh, uh, my biggest wish to say, okay, get both races back to Kona, and um, that's it. So probably, uh, so on two separate days. I know it's at the moment not possible from the island, uh, but um, mm. I think that would just be the best from the sport. I. I was not in Kona this year. I, I was in Nice. It was a nice competition, nice area. Uh, it, for sure, a great spot to do triathlon. But just by watching the pictures from Kona, I immediately felt, okay, good. It's not the same. Mm. And, but probably I'm, because I'm a little bit, yeah, still from the Kona area, <laughs> uh, uh, probably uh, I have this feeling. But that would be, at the moment, my wish, getting them back to Kona, having two races, uh, and, uh, yeah, keep the number of athletes just uh, just at the at the mm. at the normal um, at the normal number, so that it's also manageable for for the island. Because I think, and I really believe in this, I think Kona is not for everybody. I no. think there is no need to make slots and slots and slots. Somebody who goes to Kona, no matter as a professional or as an age group athlete, must show a an, an, a great performance, and then he can go there. And if not, it's not a shame. There are so many other triathlons that you can do, mm, but you mm. should not create just more slots to bring more people there. I think that's 
my opinion, that makes no sense. Yeah, it makes but that's sense. just my personal opinion. No, no, no. That's what this is an opinion piece, mate. It's a, <laughs> and none of us all have to agree on on everything either. You know, my opinion seems to change from every single person I talk to on the show. I go from going, yeah, like that, and like that. <laughs> so I, I'm still up in the air. You know, I just had Simon Lessing uh, on the show, and uh, you know, he was like, yeah, world championships should be moving around. You know, and and uh, I said, well, could we go back to Kona every four years or something? He said, oh yeah, yeah, no, we should do that. So I think we're, I think you know. It's just an interesting topic of conversation but, for people that are passionate about the sport, you know. But I think there's already the question because you said world championship should move. Yeah, there is a world championship. There's also an ITU world championship long distance. Mm, mm. But it's not winning the world championship not, uh, in, in the, the mind of people. It's winning Kona. Ah, well done. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> I like it, yeah. That's a big difference. Also, yeah. in my opinion, in the media, in the I think you can win... Uh, I would, I'm pretty sure if, uh, I don't know, um, if Lucy now would have won this, I think it would not have been the same. You're right. From You're how right. it mm. got, how the feeling is from outside. Because Kona is, it's hot. It's an island. There's not, the, the athletes are alone. There are not so many spectators. So it's hard. It's far away from Europe. I know from US, not so far away. But it's, it's more like something, there's more magic. I get than, it. Uh, than in, in, in Nice. That is, that is how I feel it. Yeah, and it has a 45-year history or whatever we're up to now and it's yeah, so many great is. stories yeah. and you're younger than I am, but I remember, you know, that whole 86, 87, and then there was no 88 with Mark and Dave anyway, and then it was 89, the battle. And it was like for me, and I wasn't even a Kona athlete. I wasn't an Ironman athlete. That was never my – I never really wanted to be Ironman. That was never my focus. It was always the short stuff, but it's still – for me, a lot of what the sport is about. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, put you on the spot here. Mm-hmm. Greatest athlete of triathlete of all time, a male and a female. Have you got an opinion here or would you rather defer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I am, I, to be honest, I don't like this kind of question because it's a little bit disrespectful for, uh, for all the other athletes. So sure. I could now mention, for example, for uh, Jan, for, uh, for example, what, what he did. And he's for sure a, a really, really great athlete with what he achieved in triathlon and outside triathlon. For mm-hmm. sure. But there have been so many performances, good performances in the last, like you say, 40 years, uh, 45 years. So I think it, it's it's not fair towards all the athletes to mention two now. Um, <laughs> I think that's why I, yeah, I, I, I don't want really to give you who's the greatest of all time. I, I, think, I, uh, I think I'm putting you on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot, always, mate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Always the greatest of his of his period, something like this. Probably there we could find if we take always ten years or something like this, but not the greatest of all time because it yeah. always differs from from the surroundings and everything. No, you're very respectful, and I, and I do agree with you. And I, I like to throw it out there just to hear different opinions. And it's one of those mm-hmm. that there's no right answer. There is no right answer. It's a bit of a fun. It's a dinner time conversation. Um, throw yeah, throw exactly. it out amongst a bunch of triathletes and see what happens. And it's a bit of fun, um, you know. But I want to finish just up with the final four questions. <clears throat> um, first one: What would you tell your eighteen-year-old self? I would say just do what you love to do because there you will be good in and um, have the courage to follow your dreams. I love it, and you're doing that, mate. Three people you'd want to have dinner with, non-family, living or dead. Oh. <laughs> um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Yeah. Whoopi won. I love it. Yeah. Um, How good was his show on Netflix, by the way? Did you watch that? Have you watched Arnold on Netflix? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, yeah. I oh, watched it. Yeah. So and, good. Um, so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, then um, who else do we? Wow. Good, good question. That's right. I, uh, if you don't have them, don't, don't, don't stress. Um, I send these out I, beforehand, but they're um, often people yeah, don't. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's not even. Uh, yeah, I know you send it already, but yeah, it was like, like. <laughs> uh, you know what? Mine are always changing. Anyway, I have three people yeah. every now and then, but Arnie was always on the top of my list. Is one of the people I'd love to just chat with. I got to get him on the show. Probably what I would like to have is. Um, uh, what I found really interesting is um, uh, Bill Clinton. So um, to to talk to him because um, I found the way how he did the politics was quite interesting. And um, I'm not I'm not in politics, but I think that politics are going not in the way where they should go. And I would like to understand a little bit more about that and talking with somebody where I have quite a lot of respect. So mm-hmm. uh, that could be mm, interesting. Yeah, to talk to. Yeah. No, for sure. Or mm-hmm. a guy like Barack Obama, for example, also. And even probably even with him, it would be interesting to get the thoughts from a president from the United States and get the thoughts about decisions, about how these things are working and why sometimes decisions are going in that way mm-hmm. and how much of their own of their own ideas before they came into the, uh, that position, they could really deliver when they were, have been in the position. That is something what I always ask myself. When it's you so true. Politics, yeah. Are you really able to, to, um, to execute what, what you, your ideas, to bring your ideas on the table and to, to make them happen? I know. I feel like uh, politicians come with all these ambitions and excitement and passion, and then I feel yeah, like exactly, yeah. Washington kicks the shit out of them. They're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to do anything I wanted to do. And, and look, I think that's to some degree the way that, that America is made up, you know, that it is hard to pass laws and it's hard to change things. But I think there's a reason for that. But anyway, let's not dive too far into that. Where do you, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Anyway, mate, you, you know, still working with Bora Hansgrove, uh, amazing cycling team, um, athletes. Uh- it's um, um, a good question. So for sure in sports, I still love what I'm doing. Um, I also like my team, but uh, the same like what I said to um, about athletes. So um, if there is something what is uh, was coming up, something unexpected, something where I say, wow, that's that's the next generating project, then probably I will be also on that one. Mm-hmm. For sure, not just jumping from one to the next, for sure, always finishing business first. Yeah. But um, I'm there quite open. And um, I, I think this, uh, there's still a lot to discover, still a lot to, to see, still a lot to, uh, yeah, to yeah, basically to discover. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm probably mm. in five years we speak again. I can tell you where. <laughs> Hopefully it's not that <laughs> bad, mate. I don't have the clear plan to say that's what I'm doing no, now in the next five years. I could see you... Um... I'm going to throw ideas out. I could see you going pivoting sports, taking on, you know, one of the Bundesliga soccer teams or Man United or even coming over and helping the New York Giants. And I don't know, like I feel like you're – I don't feel like your performance leadership, let's call it that rather than coaching because I think it's more there's a performance leadership that you have. I think that could be channeled and used – in sports, but then also let's step another step further. Let's take the Arnold model. 
I think in business and a whole bunch of areas that you could potentially go. Um, I think we should talk offline. I've got ideas for you. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> do, we, do, we also, do we also work as, as manager for coaches? Or? No, mate, I, I've, I've got some ideas. My network's growing. I've got some, uh, yes, I know uh, I, I'm friends with the New York Giants owners and they definitely need some help right now. But I, okay. um, I, I just think somebody with your mindset with the, the under, like we talked about earlier, the understanding the data and the science, but also understanding the individual and the feedback and the art of coaching and leadership. Cause it's leadership at the end of the day, coaching is a form of leadership. It's relationship. I think we could, Absolutely, we yeah. could pivot yeah. you in any direction. I think we just, we think of Arnold Schwarzenegger and how he kept pivoting and moving, but using what he'd done and trying different avenues. I I'm excited for you, mate. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I thought about it in, in some of these directions, so um, you, you were not so wrong, I think. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for you, mate. I feel, I feel like you've ticked every box there is in the world of triathlon, and you can keep doing that. But I, I'm also excited for your future as well. Hey, let's finish up with some real fast, rapid fire questions because I know I've kept yep. you a long, long time. But you, like I said at the top of the show, you are the most downloaded person on my show, and so I do like to run over a little bit of time with you. But let's finish rapid fire questions. All right. Tea or coffee drinker? Coffee. Mountain training or beach? Mountain. Favorite cycling spring classic? Um, Habibu Bay. Yeah. Uh, the best book that you would gift to somebody else? One book you'd gift to somebody else? Um, <laughs> there are no several, but... Um, 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 I would, and really interesting is the, the Netflix story. It's interesting when it's about um, leadership, um, but also the, now the um, the history of of Arnold of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. So he, he wrote. Um, so there's a new book out, what is also nice to read, but also his history um, because mm. it's um, yeah. There's a lot in it, and he, like you said before, he, he had several directions that he went, the mindset he had not an easy childhood and to understand a little bit the process behind that. Mm. Not that I say he's this the best way to do it, but there's a lot in it. In oh, no, no, no. I don't think any of us are screaming saying Arnold is the ultimate role model for everything. You know, like I was having mm. to tell my mum, she's like, ah, oh, what happened here? I'm like, okay, look, he's not perfect. There's nobody perfect, but he has a lot of great, mm. great learnings for all of us. Exactly. All right. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. One country you've never been to, but want to visit? Um, to uh, Mexico. Oh, you've never been to Mexico? My goodness. No. Nope. All right. Nope. <laughs> Lucy, Annie, you're racing an Ironman in Mexico next year. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we kind of already did this one, but I have it here. If you weren't coaching, what would you be doing? Um, I think I would work in uh, in the medical department, so as a as a doctor or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you love the science. All right, um, one workout that you believe every triathlete should do. View to, view to next uh, sessions on the bike. Mm. So three, like what I, what I said before, I think three times, ten times, uh, forty twenties on the bike, always good for everybody. Um, a good session. Um, normally, meet, most people have fun to do it. Yes. It's the most fun workout around. All right. Um, greatest movie of all time? Rocky. What? 
Rocky. Oh, Rocky. Rocky, Rocky one, four. two, three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, basically, um, I would say uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, oh. Yeah, but uh, let's take the first one because it was was the start. And uh, yeah, I love the whole story behind that too. How it was done on such a budget, and and how he yeah, you know, exactly. The whole thing about that is fantastic. All right, and last song that you listened before we started this interview. You remember in music you were listening to? Um, yes, um, the last song was. Um, I'm really bad in names. That's why. I'm <laughs> me too, mate. Me too. Me names. too. <laughs> yeah. um, but the last song that I listened was um, it was Illuminate from Afrojack. Ah, nice, nice. I've just started getting into a couple of different bands: um, the Real Mackenzies <laughs> and the and uh, Miracle of Sound. Kind of, I don't know. Check those out. They're kind of not bad workout music. All right, mate. Well, this has been really fantastic, Dan. It really has been a pleasure to catch up with you again, buddy. And, um, you know, what's next? You're giving yourself at all a little break over the festive season here, you know, Christmas coming up, or is it just getting ready for the big year ahead? Yeah, getting ready for the big year. We have training camp with the team at the 6th of December. Okay. Not at the 6th, at the 11th of December, so yeah. from the 11th to the 21st. And like I said before, planning the season for the, for the cyclists, but also for the triathletes. Yeah. So it's the, the planning months and also having some good conversations. Uh, now speaking about last season, going into the next. Mm-hmm. So a lot of organization work. Made. A lot of, also some time at home now that it wasn't good. Oh, fantastic, buddy. Well, where do you do your camps, by the way? When you go, when you do your cycling camps, you guys go Lanzarote or? The- uh, no, we start, um, normally we start in Mallorca. Oh, beautiful. Um, oh, love Mallorca. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when we go to Altitude, we go to Tenerife or Sierra Nevada uh-huh. um, or to France when it's uh, more later in the year. Oh, right. Tinia. Gosh, so you're traveling a bit, mate. You're on, you're on the road a bit, huh? You're traveling? I mean, at yeah, least yeah, around Europe, but true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. All right, Dan. Well, mate, it really has been a pleasure. Just, oh, you know, you're always amazing the way you share so much knowledge and, and inspiration as always. So um, thanks again for coming on the, on and, and just chatting with me, buddy. I really appreciate you. Thank you very much for asking the right questions, Greg. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a pleasure to be on the podcast again. All right. Thanks, mate. All and the best. Thanks, buddy. And for everybody listening, you can find all the show notes, timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right, stay on the line, buddy. Cheers. Cheers.